0: My name is Eric Normand, and I'm writing a book called A Theory of Functional Programming. And I want to talk about a certain topic from that book, and I'm going to use the transcript of this video to help me write the book. So everything here might make it into the book. At least the topic's going to. Who knows what's going to happen with the editing. All right. So, what I want to talk about is this issue of what is an action and what is a calculation in terms of timeliness. Because we know that deep down in the computer, everything is an action, every operation uh, depends on. What is at particular locations in memory at the time that the operation is run? So even like addition, an addition, you know, in, in the mathematical sense, is a calculation. It's timeless. But when you run the add instruction, it reads two locations in memory, which are mutable, and it writes to a location in memory, which is also mutable. So it is an action. Deep down in how the machines work, because our machines are based on the idea of a Turing machine, and so it's all actions all the way down. So, how is it uh, that we can claim that we actually have uh, calculations? And it's just through discipline. The disciplines of our compiler, uh, or even just as programmers, we set it up so that those registers don't have anything important in them, so we can overwrite them and we're gonna pull the value right out of the register and like put it on the stack or store it in a variable right away. So we've got these disciplines that allow us to do the operations in a way that doesn't depend on when it's run. Right? And like I said, the disciplines are either enforced by the programmer or by the compiler. And both of them are fine. The compiler makes it a lot easier on the programmer and avoids a lot more mistakes. So in a sense, it's all an illusion, the whole idea of, of timelessness of calculations. But it's a very valuable illusion. And we can make it pretty safe, pretty reliable. Um, now, there's another issue, though, which is that you have language like Haskell, as just as a as a really good example of a functional language, it has a very hard line that it draws between calculation and action. The calculations are. Uh, Function types, right? So all of the functions are pure, and so they're calculations. And I/O is reserved for actions. So the the thing is, that's a great line. That is where it should be drawn between, you know, as a as a language making this choice for the programmer. That is the right place to put it. But there are some actions. Well, uh, let me put it this way What if I'm writing and reading to a file? That's definitely an action. You can't really control the file system, it's shared by all of the programs that are running on the computer at the same time. They can read and write to it at the same time as I do. And so it's definitely a timeful thing, right? It's bound up in the time. Because I could write before they write, or I could write after they write. Like it's a it it really changes things. But what if I were to add a lot of discipline to my to my program to lessen the chances almost to zero that someone else would be writing and reading at the same time as me. So I would generate a new temporary file with a random name so that no one could guess it and I read and write to it very quickly and then immediately delete it. So basically, there's near zero chance that at any moment another program could guess the file and read from it and write to it and mess up my code in the same way that the operating system will protect the memory uh, saying like you can't read that memory from this other program. you can't write to the memory of the other program. right So you're, you're enforcing a similar discipline. Um so would that still be considered an action? Does it matter if it's a near zero po- probability that someone can um, can mess with my code and I do it in such a way that it's a pure calculation. I just needed a temporary file to hold some values for me. Um, I you can argue, and I think it's it's the right way to argue, you can argue that, that is not a an action, right? You're using discipline to ensure that there's no that it doesn't depend on when it is run or how many times it is run. And so we can move that into a calculation right And in fact, Haskell gives you a a way to take something that is typically an IO meaning disk reading and writing disk IO and ter- and any kind of IO but just in this example disk IO is an IO and so they give you a thing called perform unsafe IO and what that does is it takes an IO and t- turns it into a calculation so that's great we like haskell knows that this is a a thing that you're gonna you're gonna run into, where sure it's I/O in the in the general sense, but in this particular case, I want the compiler to trust me that I I know what I'm doing and it should be a calculation. That's great. Um, similarly, if you have a calculation. It's a pure function. It's like a statistical calculation, but it uses big data. And so it's going to it takes a long time to run. It's a very complicated convoluted algorithm, but it's pure, like this you run it twice you get the same answer. The but the issue is it takes 24 hours to run. Okay? So in general, this is this would be considered a calculation because it's pure. But when you start running it, you're gonna wish that you had started 24 hours ago, <laughs> that yesterday, and um, you're not gonna know the answer for a whole until tomorrow. So it does matter when you run it. You know, all calculations take some time, but usually it's so little time that we don't care. Right? We don't, you know, 10 milliseconds on the human time scale, we don't care. 100 milliseconds, ah, we don't really care. A minute, you know, maybe we start to care, but 24 hours, we definitely care. That's starting to get into like, oh, is this going to be done by the end of the week kind of territory. Um, so what do we do? Well, we, we should call that an action. Right, It does matter when you run that. So, you know what? What I'm trying to get at is this principle that this is an illusion that we are building, and in many cases we can get away with it because everything takes time. Everything has a side effect. <coughs> Excuse me. Everything has a side effect of using memory. So it's putting memory pressure on the garbage collector. It's um, using one of the CPUs while it's running. So that's Affecting the scheduler and what other things can run at the same time, how long other things take to run. Uh, so it all does have an effect. It's generating heat, it's using electricity, um, all those things. But we ignore those. Be- just like in a physics problem at school, we would ignore friction. Even though we know it's there, we know that there must be friction. At you know, we just don't count it. We know there's air resistance. We just don't count it because the answer you get is good enough um, without it. Well, if you even if you ignore it, uh, and so we do the same. We say this this calculation is is timeless enough. Uh, And so we just don't care about the time it takes. Um, Okay, so some languages, like I've said, uh, give you a little bit more support in the discipline. So, for instance, Haskell gives you a lot of support because. Its functions are all pure by themselves, and closure gives you a lot of support because it has immutable data structures. Um, but I believe that functional programming is something you can do if you know what you're doing. It is possible to do it with purely uh, programmer discipline and not sub- not explicit support from the language. And this is why, because it's all a choice, anyway. It's all, um, it's all a system that, that's built up by the uh, by the compiler and the programmer, anyway. All right. So this has been me talking about the illusion that we're creating uh, when we're doing functional programming—an illusion of timelessness, an illusion of um, timelessness of data as well. So, a lot of languages don't have immutable data structures. Everything is mutable. So even if they have what what's popular now is having a, a a value, a variable. Sorry, a variable that is unchangeable after it is set. So in JavaScript you have const, right? So even if you use a const. If you assign an array or an object to that const, you can still mutate the array or the object. So it's not really immutable. It's only like one level of immutability. What you want is to guarantee that when you generate data, it is an actual bit of data, it is a value, it is not. A place that can change. It's not a place for storing stuff. It is a record, meaning record means something that you keep forever, right? That you've recorded and it's stored forever. That's I don't know if I've talked about um, that enough. Um, the data is a is a fact. A recorded fact about an event that happened. Okay, so this is the definition of data we talked about before. By record, it means that we want to keep it. You record something to keep it around later. We've we've lost that idea of record generally in computer and computing in, in software, um, mostly because we had a very limited amount of storage space. Hard drives were expensive, Uh, RAM is certainly expensive. and Now we're starting to remember that in any other information system outside of the computer, say an accounting system or a medical record system, when you say, I have a record. It means it's permanent that you're you want to keep that record around forever. You don't want to change it. So you know there's the the typical um, threat at school, at least here in America, that you know any absences will be marked on your permanent record, and that's that's exactly what what we want. We want. Things to be stored forever. It's permanent. Now, of course, that permanence of storage doesn't really count for stuff in RAM because if you turn off the computer, you know, boom, you've lost it. Um, But we do want it as a transient place to store something before it gets recorded. Um, putting a record immutably in memory, so that we don't have to worry about it being overwritten, that is very useful. So, I um, I think as a discipline, functional programming moves toward this uh, immutable data structure approach because it allows you to reason very locally. You don't have to worry about who else has a pointer to this data structure if it's immutable. Right, you can you can just rely on it never changing. Whereas in if you have mutable data structures, you have to have a very strong trust, a very strong contract with with the clients that are using you about ownership and what you're allowed to mutate because the language will allow mutation. So there's a lot more non-local reasoning that you have to do. Right? You have to say, "Look, I'm going to give you this value, but it's not yours. I'm just letting you read it. Do not write on it. I'm letting you borrow it, but but return it in the same way that you found it." Right? Um, whereas in an immutable thing, that's enforced by the runtime. And often, what we'll do is we will, uh, to to help enforce the safety, we will use a discipline called copy on write, or something even uh, stricter, which is copy on share. So every time someone asks for a value that could that is mutable in the language, say a, a, an object in JavaScript or an array in JavaScript, every time someone asks for it, you make a copy and pass them the copy. So they get a fresh one. And you know, you don't have to trust them anymore. You can write all over this if you really want to. It's not going to affect me. The problem is that's very wasteful in terms of memory. And it can easily get out of hand. Um, you know, for instance, copying an array is a linear operation. And so, if you if you don't know that it's copying, right? Because this is part of the contract, you have to tell them, "Hey, this is now. You know, reading this value is now a linear operation. Now it can become accidentally quadratic. Because what if they ask for the value, not knowing that it's linear? what if they they assume it's let's say they just assume it's constant time it becomes accidentally quadratic because they're asking for it each for each element see like this is why we like it, it, it complicates things to have mutable things because if you want to enforce it through discipline you just have to have all these checks like oh You have to have a trust. You have to have a contract that's better understood, whereas immutable is a very simple contract. I'm going to give you something you just can't write to it. You can try. It's not going to work. It's easy. It's very easy to um, reason about. All right. Uh, I think I've talked enough about this. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Tell the robots what you like, so they know how to share and recommend to other people. They don't have emotions; they can't tell what's good. Let them know. Let them know what you like. Hit those buttons, mash them, subscribe. And sorry about the audio for some previous videos. I really think it's my headphones. The the not these. I switch back to these. These are these don't work so well, but I think the the microphone is fine. Um. So, Sorry about the audio, I'm, I bought a new pair, they're in the mail, we'll see how they work. Awesome. See you later. Bye.